Acts chapter 2, if you want to follow along in some reading of the scripture this morning. Been a little uncertain all week about uh, what the Lord wanted me to be preaching on this morning. I was looking in another, a couple of other directions. That's where I thought I was supposed to go. But I just couldn't get away from this thought, this truth, this, uh, this thought. It's just uh, where it started. And God kept pressing it on me and kept working on it in my mind and in my heart. So I trust Him that He knows. Will you bow your head with me as we as we seek God in this part of the service this morning. Our Father in heaven, thank you today for your presence. Thank you for your grace. Thank you, Lord, that you care about our needs today, that you're aware of our needs and our circumstances. Lord, as we look into your word, I pray that you would give us that help that is needed, that anointing that is needed. That anointing that goes beyond the ability of, of the human, lays aside the frailties, the weakness of man. Would you speak to our heart as we hear from your word today? It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. You're probably familiar with this passage here in the book of Acts. It's an exciting part of Scripture as we realize, as we realize that uh, the church had its origin, as we know it, in this particular chapter, the beginning here, the day of Pentecost. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Remember reading that and remember studying about that. It was some day. It was, some, it, was a, it was a powerful day. Let's look at verse number 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Let's drop on down to verse number 12. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? You recall the intermediate verses there. We're talking about the, uh, the circumstances of what had happened and what was going on. And, and the people around all of different countries in various uh, languages. And they were, they were astounded at what was taking place. They were all amazed. They were, some of them were in doubt. And they were asking, what does this mean? Verse number 14, but Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. And then for the next several verses, we can read about this, uh, this uh, message, this sermon, this, this uh, conversation or, or a monologue that, uh, that Peter was having with these people that were, we were in doubt and they were amazed. They were, uh, they were uh, wondering what was going on. So he, he has this dialogue and it goes down, down through here. Or not dialogue, monologue with these people. 
telling them what is taking place. And, and it was such a powerful sermon. You drop on down to verse 37, and we find in, in that verse, now when they heard this, when they heard this that Peter had just given them, they were pricked in their heart. There was conviction brought to them. Well, if there's anything that we need in our church world today, it's conviction. We can have good preaching, we can have fine singing, we can have all sorts of things in the way of church service, but if we do not have a result of the conviction of sin, then something is amiss within us. No matter what you think about the revival at Asbury in recent days, if there's no conviction of sin, now I'm glad that I've heard of reports that there has been conviction of sin, but you see, that is what is needed to experience a Pentecost within our own heart and within our own church. They were pricked within their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter, again, Peter stands here and he says to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Boy, he's just straightforward. He just gives to them the gospel. He tells them exactly what needs to happen. And in verse 41, And then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day, the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Evangelistic speaking, I'm going to take a guess that there's about 190 people here today. Evangelistically speaking, you remember me telling you about a pastor that I had one time that he would take the number of whoever, of, of whatever was given to him by the, the counter that was, uh, that was tabulating all the people that in the church service that day, and he would add 10 because there was probably 10 people in the nursery and in the bathrooms at the time that they counted. So evangelistically speaking, I don't know what's on the board. You can see that. I'll check, I'll, I'll check it out later evangelistically speaking. But I don't believe that this number that is given to us here in this verse is evangelistically speaking. I believe that it is a, it is a number that has been given by God himself and is, it is something that we can realize was a reality of 3,000 souls saved. Don't you, don't you wish you could be a part of a revival meeting like that? Whew. Now, some people are saying, no, I don't want to be a part of a revival meeting like that because I'm afraid what God will speak to me about. Well, that's a different subject. But it's true. 3,000. What an incredible, what an incredible revival that that must have been. And who did the preaching? The scripture tells us that we've already read a number of times here. We see this name, Peter. Peter was the preacher. 
And when we read that about Peter preaching that Pentecost sermon that, that brought 3,000 souls into the kingdom of God, sometimes we have the, the tendency to step back and say, wow, he must have been some kind of a spiritual guru. He was some kind of a spiritual giant. He was a saintly old person whose middle name must have been righteousness or holiness. And we put people like that up on a pedestal because we think that it was because of them that they they were able to see the power of God displayed in such a way. You know, he wasn't a spiritual giant, a spiritual guru, and his name was basically just Peter. He didn't have a middle name of holiness or of righteousness. There was no brilliant title that went with him, not even a lengthy resume of spiritual successes. If anything... If anything, the fact is that his resume would have contained many more failures than successes. Failures. Let's take a look, a little bit closer look at at who this Peter was. And we don't have to go very, very far. We don't have to go very many days previous to this point of this powerful sermon to take a look at who he was. John's Gospel, chapter 21, verse number 15. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Peter, Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? And he saith unto him, Yea, Lord, you know that I love you. And so he said, Feed my lambs. Verse 16, and he saith unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And he saith unto him, yea, Lord, you know that I love you. And he saith unto him, feed my sheep. Verse number 17, I'm going to switch over to the Amplified. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, Do you love me with a deep, instinctive, personal affection for me as for a close friend? And Peter was grieved. He was saddened and hurt that he should ask him the third time, Do you love me? And he said said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you, that I have a deep, instinctive, personal affection for you as for a close friend. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. If we go on down here just a little bit to verse number 20, we see then Peter turning about, see if the disciple whom Jesus loved following. That disciple leaned on the the breast of Christ at supper and said to him, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter, Peter was looking at another individual here. Peter had just come through an intensity that Christ had zeroed in on him and it was making him feel uncomfortable. And he looked around and he said, Lord, what about him? What about him? Don't you have any scrutiny for him? 
Now, I don't know exactly that was going through, but it seems as though there was an issue that was burning within the heart of Peter. He had a problem with being brought out into the public eye against everybody else, and nobody else had to deal with that scrutiny. And so he began to cast it off onto somebody else. Look at him. What about him? Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, what shall this man do? Lord, it's not fair that you picked on me. What about him? Is he some, some kind of, of special? Is he, is he an extra kind of special? Apparently, he thinks he's special because he got to sit next to you. And maybe you think so, too. Yeah, I'm paraphrasing there. I'm reading a little bit between the lines there. I understand that, but there, there's something going on in the mind, in the mind of Peter at this time, and Jesus was trying to get to the bottom of it with him. We go back just a little bit further, further away, earlier in time, a few more days previous, not very far again. John chapter 18, verse 17, Then saith the damsel that kept the door unto Peter, Art not thou also one of this man's disciples? And he said, No, I'm not. No, I'm not. Verse 25, And Simon Peter stood and warmed himself, and they said therefore unto him, Art not thou also one of his disciples? He denied it and said, I am not. Verse 26, One of the Servants of the high priest, being his kinsman, whose ear Peter cut off, saith, Did not I see you in the garden with him? Oh. Peter then denied again, and immediately the cock crew. The rooster crowed. Now, what's so significant about this? The significant part is that Peter just got done doing everything that he had promised and said that he would not do just, just moments, hours before that. He denied being a Christ follower. He denied being a friend of Christ. He denied being one of Christ's associates. He denied it all. It really wasn't all that long before this that Peter had made a pretty strong boast that we can find in Luke chapter 22, verse 33. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. That's a pretty strong boast, but then we find that he is denying his friendship. He's denying his association. He's denying that he's a follower of Christ. And then when Jesus was taken away by the soldiers, he ran away. Can we paraphrase that just a little bit and put a stronger word in there to depict what exactly Peter had done at that moment, as well as the other disciples, but we're picking on Peter this morning. He deserted Christ. He deserted Christ. Deserted him. How could, he, how could he do that? 
He ran away to hide. And then we find as he came out of hiding that he followed at a distance. He was still trying to hide himself among the other people. What kind of a person was this Peter? What kind of a person was he really? And you want to tell me that he did what at Pentecost? How could he do that? How could he possibly have that kind of an ability to do what he did at Pentecost? Well, let's take a little bit deeper of a look. Going to Luke chapter 18, verse 28. Then Peter said, Lo, we have left all and followed thee. We've left everything to follow you. Now, now we might need a little bit more context there. To understand what what Jesus is saying, what Peter is saying, what is going on here in this particular uh, situation, this particular context. So, So if we were to take the time this morning, we would turn to Luke chapter 18 and begin with verse number 18 where it speaks about a certain ruler ask him saying, good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, why callest thou me good? None is good save one. That is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother. And he said, all of these have I kept from my youth up. Jesus heard these things, and he said unto him, Yet lackest thou one thing, sell all that you have, and contribute to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. And when he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. And Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful, and he said, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through it, a needle's eye, than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. I think that's enough context to understand, then, the mind that is reeling here in in Peter's head, his, his thoughts of where he is going, and he said, well... Peter said, well, Lord, look what we've done. Look what we have done. We've left everything. I don't know if Peter's thumping his chest here, you know, bragging on himself, but there's something happening within his mind where he is hearing what this is going on and how this is being, being uh, un- unfolding before them in this story, and he wants to bring attention to what he has done or what they have done. Look, Lord, our performance is that we've left everything to follow you. Look at me, Lord, I've turned my back on everything, and I've given up everything, and, and we are so much better than these, these that you're speaking to. Can you, hear, can you hear Peter's arrogance in that? Mark chapter 8, verse 29, And he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Peter answered and saith unto him, Thou art the Christ. And he charged them, Jesus charged them, that they should tell no man of him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. 
Verse number 32 of Mark chapter 8, switching to the English Standard Version, it says, and he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside, took Jesus aside, Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke Jesus. Are, are, you, are you hearing that? Jesus is talking about what is, to, what is to happen, what is to come, the things that are about to take place, and about his death, the sacrifice for sin. And Peter takes Jesus aside. Some of the translations would indicate that he took him aside to be alone. So it's just, it's just the two of them. Well, that's nice. That's good. But he began to rebuke him over it. But when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. Is there an arrogance in that, that Peter could rebuke the Lord? Matthew chapter 20, verse number 20, Then, then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? And she saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on thy right hand and the other on the left, in, the, in, the, in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, Ye know not what you're asking. Are you able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They say unto him, We are able. And he saith unto them, Ye shall drink indeed of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my father." Now, here's where we see Peter again. It's not mentioned specifically. His name is not here specifically, but it's there because of what is being said. And when the ten heard it, Peter's in that ten. When the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. Indignation against those two brethren. Matthew Henry here talks about sinful ambition. And he says something about the desire for greatness. And then, perhaps it appears that Matthew Henry is speaking directly about Peter when he said, It is good to humble a proud, self-justifying disposition. Suggesting that Peter had that problem. Now, now, understand, understand, Peter had human propensities or natural inclinations. Similar, sim, Peter had similar inclinations that people who live in Indiana in the year 2023 have. He wasn't. He wasn't some far-fetched person. He was a normal person. How could he? How could he be the one who preached on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people were saved? Look at his track record. Look at his resume. The failures. 
Time and time again, he's failed. Time and time again, he's messed up. Time and time again, we can look at him and say, Peter, you're a broken, messed up man. How could it be? It's simply because God, for Christ's sake, offers forgiveness for sins committed. I think we sang about that this morning. The ladies sang about that this morning. We can nail it to the cross. Not only does he offer forgiveness for sins committed, he provides a cleansing for the bent to sin. He enacts a redemption. He enacts a redemption that will change the heart and redeems. Listen to me. If you don't get anything else this morning, get this. He redeems the transgressions of the past. God, for Christ's sake, will redeem. Now, what does the word redeem mean? Do you have an idea in your mind what it, what it means? Boy, I, I would encourage you to go look it up in, into, in, in, a very, in a good, uh, maybe a collegiate uh, dictionary and see all the different meanings that are here in, the, in this uh, word, uh, the definition of the word redeem. Let me give you some of them. To offset the bad effect of. Are you hearing me? To offset the bad effect of. To make worthwhile, retrieve, repair, restore, to exchange for something of value. God, for Christ's sake, will redeem anything and everything we give Him at confession or at surrender and at surrender. We didn't even look at what Peter probably was before Jesus called him. (laughs) We didn't even take the time to look at that. We don't really know, but we can speculate because of the of the circumstances or or his his spiritual condition and his vocation and what happens in that environment that he was a part of without salvation. We can only imagine the vileness of his life. If he can transform a Peter, he can transform you. He can transform me. Surely that's what Fanny Crosby was rejoicing about when she penned the words to a familiar song. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the land. Redeemed through his infinite mercy, his child, and forever I am. Peter's resume had more failures than he had successes. 
But because of that success in his spiritual life of complete surrender at Pentecost, God was able to redeem all of those things of the past and make him a powerful voice for his kingdom to bring 3,000. Now, that may not happen that exact way for you or for me. But he can redeem every broken failure of our past if we but give it, surrender it, lay it at his feet, nail it to his cross, and let him redeem us. Let's stand together. Fanny Crosby said, redeemed and so happy in Jesus. And you and I can find happiness as well because of that redemption. Being redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. So before we go with our heads bowed, our eyes closed, ask yourself the question. Have you allowed his blood to redeem you? Are you redeemed? Have you given him the brokenness, the failures? Confess the need to him. He can and will redeem. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you for your attendance and for your attention this morning. Trust the Lord will bless you on this Lord's Day. Amen. Amen. Austin Eckert, would you dismiss us in prayer?